Thank you, Brian and Sandy. Isn't that a beautiful song? Appreciate that. How many folks, that's a new song to you. How many folks, that's a new song? Actually, that's a very old song, I believe. And uh, sometimes these hymns, you know, and these great songs like that, for some reason, get put up. And uh, they're so old, they're new. And so uh, we appreciate that. I think it's about the same age as mine, I believe. I'm multitasking up here. I'm fixing my microphone while I'm talking. So uh, if you want to take your Bibles, turn back to Matthew 24. Well, I've been working on my... How many folks made New Year's resolutions three and a half months ago, three months ago? Anybody still holding to them? I'm still working on mine, a couple of them, one of them. And uh, my, my New Year's resolution was trying to keep these Sunday morning messages a little briefer, maybe. And I think I've done fairly well recently. Last week I didn't do so well. Uh, but uh, somebody pointed out if the crowd wasn't such hardened sinners, it wouldn't take so long to get through these messages. And, uh, as Ron Wagner said that, and I amend him. So it's really not my fault. It's the wickedness of the crowd. Notice, if you would, please, with me, verse number 6. Of course, you have a red letter edition. This is uh, Jesus speaking. Does not make it more inspired, but it is significant to notice that these are from the lips of our Savior. And he said in verse 6, And ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. Look at verse 7. For kingdoms shall rise against, uh, for nations shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be famines and pestilence and earthquakes in diverse places. Verse 80 says, all these are the beginnings, uh, the beginning of sorrows. I want to preach this morning on wars and rumors of wars. Let's pray, ask the Lord to speak to our hearts. Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, for uh, uh, your uh, blessings to us. We thank you for the Lord Jesus who died for us. I ask now, Father, you'd bless this hour as we look into your word, that uh, our hearts and minds would be open to the will of God. I pray, Father, that you would... Uh, uh, fill me with your Holy Spirit. Father, I present to you anew this hour. I present to you my body. I yield my will to yours. I ask you to fill me with your Holy Spirit and that you would speak through me and, and uh, your will be done. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Could I get someone to pull that door closed back there? If somebody could do that for me, I'd appreciate it. Thank you, Ron. Well, mankind as a whole longs for peace, doesn't he? Mankind wants peace. Uh, civilized governments, and you have to point that out, civilized governments of the world, they work towards peace. Um, civilized governments spend millions of dollars to try and, try and bring peace to the world. I believe with all my heart, America is a peace-loving nation. We go to war of necessity. Uh, we go to war. Uh, in every case, to some degree, it has been for defense. And uh, let's see. There we go. All right. We go to war for, uh, in, in every case, America is a peace-loving country. But mankind wants peace. Uh, we have peace plans, peace summits, peace maps, peace conferences, peace protests, we see that a lot today, different groups, Code Pink and groups like this, protesting for peace. It's interesting how violent peace protests often become. 
You have peacekeeping forces. We have ambassadors of peace. Now, I am not a pacifist. I believe there is a place for uh, war. There's a time for war. The Bible says that. But we want peace. Nobody in their right mind wants to have a war, wants that violence. Yet in spite of all these efforts, in spite of sincere and intense desires for peace in the world, in spite of the trillions and trillions of dollars spent, in spite of the conferences, in spite of the, uh, the, the organizations, United Nations, and pre- before that the League of Nations, in spite of all of these efforts, in spite of all of this determination, in spite of all of this sincere desire, we still do not have peace. War continues. Um, in spite of these efforts... Nations are still going to war against nations. People are still killing people. You have Muslims killing Jews. You have Hindus killing Muslims. You have Muslims killing Muslims. You have Muslims killing everybody. You have blacks killing blacks. Whites killing blacks. Blacks killing whites. Communists killing Buddhists. Rebels killing established uh, government officials. War continues on in spite of all these efforts for peace. Now, as Bible believers, we are often ridiculed for focusing so much on the return of Jesus Christ. We get ridiculed for, sometimes, for warning about the second coming. And the, the folks that ridicule us for that, of focusing so much on the second coming, of focusing so much on coming judgment, the folks that ridicule us for that, this is their thinking. This is their reasoning. They say, you need to quit spending so much time and effort and focus on worrying about the hereafter and worrying about something that's going to happen way in the future. You need to work harder for the here and now to bring peace to the world and make the world a better place now. You need to work on, an, on alleviating suffering and bringing in, uh, dealing with injustice and stopping war. Quit worrying about the pie in the sky and focus more on the needs of man now and taking care of man now. I had a roommate in college that had that same idea. It's my first year in Bible college, living in the dorms. The first year I lived in a dorm, and um, he had that same thinking. And we got involved, and I'm nothing special, but we got down there and got involved in soul winning. We worked in the bus ministry. We're trying to win people, Lord. We're giving out tracts and trying to point people to Christ because, uh, you know, we'd warn them of hell and coming judgment. They need to trust Christ. They know they're going to heaven someday and have a new life here. And uh, talking about that and trying to establish uh, devotional time in the the dormitory there. And one guy came up to me and uh, said, I hope everybody has their cell phones and texting things all put up there, please. And he came up to me one day and he says, Leatherman, I'm really, you're really getting on my nerves. Well, people say that a lot, but uh, he said to me, he says, you're really getting on my nerves. I said, what's the problem? He says, eh, soul winning and prayer meetings, all that. And then he made this statement. He says, you're so heavenly minded, you're of no earthly good. Now, I took that as a compliment, to be honest with you. 
What he was saying is, you're so focused on the things of God and the spiritual things, you're really not doing any good now. Now, my, and I didn't answer this, I didn't think of it at the time, but later on, the answer to that is this. The problem isn't people who are so heavenly minded, they're of no earthly good. It's people who are so earthly minded, they're of no heavenly good. They're not doing anything for God. They're not doing anything for the cause of Christ. They're not doing anything to prepare people for the coming of Christ and the uh, inevitable judgment that we're all going to have to face. They do nothing for the things of God because they're so eat up with the things of the world. And that's the idea that we get attacked for. You're talking about Jesus coming. Someday we're all going to face judgment. Uh, Why don't you worry about stopping war? Why don't you alleviate suffering? Why don't you work on the injustice and racial issues? The fact of the matter is, preparing people for the coming of the Lord will do more to improve this old world than any social program that the government or some liberal church comes up with. The gospel of Jesus Christ will bring more justice to this world than any program the United Nations can come up with. People trusting Jesus Christ and getting saved and having their hearts changed and living for the Lord and by the principles of Scripture will do more to bring peace to this whole world than anything any government or liberal church organization will ever come up with. But there's war. Our Lord declared, very clearly that in the end times of mankind's existence on this planet, our Lord declared very clearly that in the days preceding His return to planet Earth, this world would be characterized by increased earthquakes, by increased famines, by increased diseases, and He says there will be wars. History proves to us that wars on planet Earth are increasing not just in number, but they are increasing in their fierceness. The violence of the wars. People talk about we're an advanced age technologically. We're advanced. We're beyond all this. You know what mankind uses his increased technological knowledge for? More devastating ways to kill each other. Am I right or wrong? You see some of these shows and they talk about the weapons that are available now. In fact, these are the weapons that are made public now. And how they're just devastating, overwhelmingly devastating. And can, uh, you know, now you have how many nations have nuclear weapons and uh, the proliferation of nuclear weapons. Listen to me, we're not getting closer and closer to a more peaceful world. we're, We're sitting on a powder keg that's ready to blow. And so the Lord said very clearly, as you approach the day of my return, one thing that will characterize the world will be earthquakes, famines, disease, as we said, but one of the things that will characterize the world will be wars, an increase in them, and you'll see an increase in the violence and the fierceness of the world of wars. As I said, this whole world's a powder keg. Man, you've got, and there's probably other events going on we don't know nothing about, but you've got Iran, you've got uh, uh, down in Venezuela now is rattling their swords. You've got, uh, uh, you know, as I said, Iran's running their mouth. You've got all these things going on. North Korea's talking about nuclear bombs. I want you to consider a few things with me about wars 
and rumors of wars. Number one, I'd like for us to consider the persistence of war. The persistence of it. Why is it that mankind cannot stop war? Why can we not come up with a way that we can solve problems between governments, that we can solve disputes about borders, that we can solve our problems without bombs and bullets and weapons? Why can mankind not stop war? Why does it persist on? I think there's two very clear reasons. Number one is because of the reality of Satan. The reality of Satan. As long as Satan has any influence on mankind, he is going to keep things stirred up and he's going to keep man killing each other. As long as Satan has any influence on the, on the lives of human beings, he, uh, has, he's going to keep his henchmen there in certain places. And I'll be very honest with you, I'm convinced in studying history, there are a number of, world, uh, of national leaders, political leaders, who in my mind are no doubt demon-possessed. Absolutely. The worldly wisdom they, they uh, express, their violence towards the people of God, there's no doubt. So as long as there's a Satan, and as long as he has any influence on mankind, he's going to keep things stirred up. He's going to keep man at war with one another. Satan's whole mentality is to divide, separate, conquer, destroy. He is a murderer. He is a liar. In fact, even uh, as we've been talking these past several months about prophetic events and the, what the Bible says the future holds, if you'll remember, after the tribulation period, Jesus comes down, he fights uh, or, or the battle of what? Armageddon. The Lord doesn't really fight it. He just speaks a word and slaughters everyone. He judges the nation. He sets up the millennial kingdom, the 1,000-year reign of Jesus Christ. Now, let me ask you a question. What would you say characterizes the nation's relationships one with another during that millennial reign? It will be characterized by what? Peace. The Lord will reign. And that 1,000-year reign will be characterized by peace. But if you read the book of Revelation very carefully... And if you go back to the book of Ezekiel, you'll find out that at the end of that 1,000-year millennial reign of Christ, characterized by peace, where the swords are beat to plowshares, you will find that Satan is loosed from the bottomless pit for a brief period of time. And what is the first thing he does? He stirs up a group of people and goes to war against the Lord Jesus Christ in Jerusalem. Battle of Gog and Magog. I mean, as soon as he's bound for 1,000 years, but he's loose for a little period of time at the end of that 1,000 years. And the very first thing he does is he stirs up a war. We live in a day when a lot of churches, preachers, theologians, seminaries will mock the idea of a devil. They'll laugh at the, men, at the idea, the suggestion that there is a Satan and that he is active in the earth and that he has any type of sway. Uh, they'll just mock that idea. But listen, they mock it, they laugh at it to their own destruction. Satan is very much alive. He is very real. 
And there will not be peace on earth as long as Satan has influence on mankind. There is a supernatural aspect. I, I've seen this when I was first in, in my studies and uh, I, uh, I minored in history and we were studying history books. I went to the professor one time and uh, I, uh, I, I was noticing, I said, I'm noticing something here. I said, I, is, am I incorrect but, or is there not a supernatural aspect to all war? Isn't there a spiritual aspect? And he said, that's absolutely right. And you, how many folks here, uh, you ever studied wars much at all, and you noticed how weather plays a factor in so many battles and so many wars? You ever notice that? World War II, almost every war, weather was a very key factor on who won and who was defeated. Let me ask you a question. Who's in charge of the weather? God. There is a spiritual aspect to all warfare. Let me give you some scripture to support that. Take your Bibles. Now, keep your place here in Matthew. Uh, we may get back to this, but turn with me to Daniel, book of Daniel. We preached out of this here a few weeks ago. And in Daniel chapter 10, Daniel, if you'll remember, Daniel's praying, and he's wanting the Lord to give him some information. He's studying the scriptures, primarily Jeremiah, and he doesn't understand some of the figures given there, and so he gives himself to fasting and prayer. And uh, he's asking God to give him some information. If you come down to Daniel chapter 10, notice with me verse 11. Uh, and the angel shows up, Gabriel shows up to him, and this is his response to his prayer. And he, this, the angel, Gabriel, says to Daniel, and he said unto me, O Daniel, a man greatly beloved, Understand the words that I speak unto thee, and stand upright, for I, uh, for unto thee am I now sent. And when he had thus, when he had spoken this word unto me, I stood trembling. So Daniel prayed. He asked that God would help him understand it. God sends this angel, and this angel says this to Daniel. But look at verse twelve. Then said he, the angel Gabriel, unto me, Fear not, Daniel. For from the first day that thou didst set thine heart to understand and to chasten thyself before thy God, thy words were heard. All right, what's he saying? From the very first moment, Daniel began to pray and fast and seek the Lord. The angel says, what? His words were heard. God heard his prayer. He had the ear of God. God was paying attention. And I am come, the last part of verse 12, I am come for thy words. He says, I'm coming in answer to your prayer. God heard your words. I'm coming in answer to your prayer. But, verse 13, the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me one and twenty days. So what's happening? I wrote in the margin of my Bible there, spiritual battle. Daniel's praying that God would help him understand this prophetic passage of scripture he didn't understand it god hears his prayer god immediately sends gabriel down to give daniel the answer to the prayer but gabriel is withheld 21 days daniel's just praying 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 maybe daniel's thinking god's not hearing my prayer maybe daniel's thinking for whatever reason god's not answering my prayer but in reality god did hear his prayer and god was answering his prayer but there's a spiritual battle going on and as Gabriel come to earth to answer Daniel's prayer, he faces the prince, uh, what's he called there? The prince of Persia. The prince of the kingdom of Persia. And he confronts Gabriel, and the spiritual battle goes on. 
Micah, uh, by the way, in the Bible, Gabriel is always the messenger angel. He's always delivering messages. Who appeared to Mary? The angel Gabriel. Michael is always the warrior angel. He's the one always doing battle. So look at verse, uh, where are we at? Verse 13. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me one in twenty days, but lo, Michael, I can hear, Calvary comes in, you know, Michael's coming down. And one of the chief princes, but lo, Michael, one of the chief princes, this is Michael, one of the archangels, came to help me. And I remained there with the king of Persia. Now I am come to make thee understand what shall befall thy people in the latter days. What am I saying? I think it's interesting, in verse number 13 there, where it says, the prince of the kingdom of Persia. He's not talking about a human being. He's not talking about a political leader. He's talking about a spiritual entity. He's talking about a spiritual being, a spiritual power, a fallen angel who is appointed by Satan to have the responsibility of the kingdom of Persia. I believe there's scriptural support to to say that Satan has powers, principalities and powers, assigned to population centers and to political powers throughout the world. And when one nation goes to war against another nation, I do not it is just I do not believe it is just some madman like Saddam Hussein just wanting to stir things up. I think there is a spiritual aspect to that. There is a spiritual warfare behind that where Satan is influencing mankind, stirring up mankind, putting mankind at war one with another. And so until Satan no longer has an influence in the realms of man's uh, uh, experience and decisions, until Satan no longer has an influence, there's going to be wars. There's going to be wars. That's why they persist on. We can have Code Paint, can do their marches. The United Nations can come up with their programs. They can send their peace forces and all of that. But until Satan is conquered and and his influence is removed, uh, there will not be peace on earth. So, the first war ever fought. Does anybody know where, what the first war ever fought was? In all of eternity, the first war ever fought. It was before Cain and Abel. Turn with, turn with me, if you would, to Isaiah. It's Bible quiz time. Turn with me to Isaiah, chapter number 14. Christians ought to be familiar, Bible believers ought to be familiar with Isaiah chapter 14. Before man was back in the beginning of creation, I should put it that way. Look at verse 12. Isaiah 14, notice with me verse 12. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer? Lucifer was Satan's name before the fall. Means son of the morning. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground which did weaken the nations? Now look at this. For thou, Lucifer, Satan, said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I think that reference, stars of God, I think he's referring to the angels, I believe. I will exalt my throne 
above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. Very first war ever fought was when Satan declared war on God. He says, I will ascend. I am at war with God Almighty. So as long as Satan has any influence, the only time since the creation of the world that Satan did not have influence on mankind is that 1,000 year, will be that 1,000 year reign, and as soon as he is loose, just for a little while, he immediately sends man back to war. So the persistence of war, in spite of all our efforts, war persists because of the reality of Satan. But I think there's another reason that war continues, persists. Not just because of the reality of Satan, but because of the reality of our sin nature. The reality of our sin nature. Would you turn with me back to the New Testament, back to the book of James. In fact, God says very plainly, very clearly here, why there are wars. James, and turn with me to chapter 4. I hope you brought your Bibles. And I hope you got them ready to use them. James chapter 4, verse number 1. From whence come wars and fightings among you? Alright. Why, why does war keep on going? Why can't, we, why can't we bring peace to the earth? Why can't we solve our problems between nations and people some other way? Why do, are there wars on the earth? Here he's telling us. From whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence even of your what? Lusts. That war in your members, in your body. You lust and have not. You kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. You fight and what? War. Yet ye have not because ye ask not. Why are there wars? The reality of Satan. Satan keeps things stirred up. But also the reality of our sin nature. Mankind is born selfish. How many people here are parents? You, you, parents. When your child was very, very young, how many people here had to take, how to teach your child how to be selfish? Anybody here? Here, Junior, just take it and go like this. Mine. Do it after me. Come on, you can do it. No. Here. No, no, no. You've got to be selfish. Mine. Doesn't work that way, does it? You don't have to teach a child to be selfish. This is how you take things away from the other kids. Did you see that in the news where that lady was robbing a place, had her kids, was teaching it? It was in the news, seriously, just a couple weeks ago. You don't have to teach a child to be selfish. We have, the Bible calls, a sinful nature. There, we are at our very core, our very nature is corrupted and defiled and selfish. And as long as our nature is self-centered, as long as our nature is exalts self and seeks to please self, there's going to be war. There's going to be war. Because everybody's pulling in their own direction. Everybody's wanting what they want, uh, regardless of how it affects others. And Satan's influence on the world causes war, and man's sinful nature causes war. In fact, it was Satan's influence on Adam and Eve that caused them to disobey God and produce the sinful nature. Sin 
This selfishness puts man at war with man. What happened? Adam and Eve disobeyed God. And within a few short years, Cain's killing Abel at war with his brother. You go on and you find uh, folks are starting to develop weapons of warfare in the early chapters of Genesis, and man goes at war with man. Husband goes to war with wife. Wife goes to war with husband. Parents go to war with kids. Kids go to war against parents. Blacks go to war against whites. Whites go to war against blacks. Hindus against Muslims. Muslims against Christians. Christians against them. And it just goes on and on and on and on. And you can change the outside. You can educate this this sinful nature. You can put this sinful nature in nice clothes, in beautiful houses. You can teach it how to cook, how to fish, how to plant crops. You can do all of those things. But as long as mankind has a sinful nature, he will be at war. And so you have the persistence of war. Sin puts man at war with man. Sin puts man at war with God. With God. I have no doubt, I'm not going to ask for a response, I have no doubt that many, 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 perhaps the majority of us here this morning, at some point, God dealt with our heart about something He wanted us to do, but we did not want to do it, and we declared, quote-unquote, war against God. No, I will not do that. I want what I want. And God, I am not going to do what you're asking me to do. I am not going to treat that person the way you're telling me to treat them. I will do things my way. Man's sinful nature puts him at war against God. And so we have the persistence of war. Should we have a strong military? I say yes. I think we'll have more peace as a nation if we have a strong military than if we have a weak military. You ever notice it's always the weak countries that are always fighting, always at war. But we can have a strong military. We can have brilliant negotiators. We can have the greatest financial support of our cause in the world. But we will never bring world peace until the heart of mankind is changed. And there's only one way the heart of a man can be changed. And that's through the new birth. Through trusting Jesus Christ as Savior. So the persistence of war, my second thought this morning is this, not just the persistence of war, but I want us to consider the Bible's prophecies of war. And I already touched on this in the, in the introduction. But every major prophecy that God gives us in the Bible concerning the end of time, concerning the days of the Lord's return, every single one of them refers to wars, conflicts, and bloodshed. Jesus Himself declared that the world would be characterized in the last days by violence, nations against nations, kingdoms rising against kingdoms, wars and rumors of war. He says that's where the world's going to be characterized in the days I return. That tells us that things are going to get worse before they get better, as far as mankind's concerned. There never has been in the history of the world the level and potential for such horrific warfare as there is today. As Bible believers, we're not looking for peace in this sinful world. We're looking for the Prince of Peace to come back to this old sinful world. Now, we, we ought to do our part. Don't misunderstand. 
we don't relish war. We're not going out. Don't think we should go out and look for war. We ought to do all we can. But we need to understand the Lord said this is the way it's going to be. And by the way, when the Lord says this is the way it's going to be, this is the way it's going to be. So we have the persistence of war, the Bible's prophecy of war. Last of all, I'd like for us to consider... Uh, if I ended there, that'd be pretty gloomy, huh? You're like, oh, man, you know? But I want us to consider, last of all, the promise of peace. The promise of peace. Though there will not be peace on earth till Jesus returns. You say, wait a minute. I thought the angel said when Jesus was born, good news and peace on earth, goodwill to men. Sure, that's the purpose of the Lord's coming. But we had a problem. Jesus came unto His own and His own what? Received Him not. He came offering peace. He came offering to be the King of kings and Lord of lords. He came and offered Himself as the Messiah. And man said, no, 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 we're not interested. And so there is no peace on earth. So, we understand there will not be peace on earth until the Prince of Peace returns in power and glory, puts down the nations of, of man, binds the devil up for a thousand years in the, in the bottomless pit, and for then there will be peace. But there will, though there will not be peace on earth, till then there can be peace in our hearts. Turn with me if you would. I just want to go to a couple more verses and end. Turn with me if you would to Romans chapter 5 and verse 1. Great, great verse. Romans 5.1. Romans 5.1. Therefore, being justified by faith, in other words, we're saved simply by putting our faith and trust in Jesus, we have what? Peace. Next word, very important. With God. Peace with God. If I'm talking to someone here this morning and you're unsaved, I'm talking to somebody this morning. Oh, you may be a church member. You may have said some simple, meaningless prayer somewhere. You may have gone through the formalities, but you've never genuinely been born again. Uh, God, God's never genuinely saved you through you putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ personally. If that's true for anybody here this morning, there's one thing I know about you. Your soul is at war with God, at enmity with God. You do not have peace with God. The Bible says, Jesus says in John chapter uh, 3, verse 18, and again in verse 36, He says, a person has not trusted Jesus, say you're genuinely been born again, they are under the wrath of God. I think sometimes that's why you got some professing Christians just so hateful. Just so hateful. Can't get along with anybody. Nobody does anything right, ever. Nobody. The smallest, minute, little disagreement is a nuclear bomb. I think that's characteristic of somebody that's under the wrath of God. Under the condemnation of God. And it just comes out. A person who is unsaved, they may be a church member, they may be a religious leader... They may be a politician, they may be a drunkard in the street, but if they don't Jesus Christ, their personal Savior, they are separated from God, they're under the wrath of God. Romans says they are at enmity with God. And there's no peace in their life. And so we cannot have peace among nations. We cannot have warless 
world until the Prince of Peace comes, but we can't have peace with God. We have peace in our heart with God. We can make things right with God. And I urge you, with all my heart, if you're here this morning, you've never genuinely been born again through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, I urge you with all my heart, come and trust Jesus Christ today. Today's the day of salvation. Now is the accepted time. Don't say, well, someday I'm going to make things right with God. Someday. I'll tell you what, just before I die, then I'll make things right with God. Brother, you're a fool. Boast not thyself of tomorrow. Thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. Today is the day of salvation. Now is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. Peace with God. But you know what? I found it's possible to get saved, genuinely born again, have, and have peace with God, but not have peace of God. There's a difference. Turn with me quickly, and I end with this. Philippians. Chapter 4, it's not far away, a few pages towards your back. Philippians chapter 4, and notice with me verse number 7. That is not the right, oh wait, I'm in Colossians, Philippians. Chapter 4, notice verse 7. Now, Romans 5.1 said, peace with God. Look what this passage says. And the peace, what? Of God. Which passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Verse 6, he says, be careful for nothing. Don't you get worried. Don't you be anxious about anything. Be careful for nothing. Both prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be known. And the peace of God. You know what he's saying here? When I, as a Christian, come to the point where I just cast it all on the Lord, my whole life, my plans, my future, my problems, my issues I have to deal with, circumstances I deal with, I bring that all to the Lord. And Lord, I live my life by faith. I'm just trusting in you. I've cast my life, my soul, everything as a believer. I put it all in your hands. God says, ah, then the peace of God comes and settles in your heart. Then, uh, do you ever think about it? How peaceful is God? I, I just, I view God as, ju- I, don't, I don't see God getting worked up. You say, well, he's, you know, he's, he's at war with Satan. Yeah, but it doesn't upset God. Now think about this. God is all-powerful, all-wise. His will is going to be worked out in the end perfectly, completely. He has nothing to worry about. I tell you, if I found out God was worried, I, I really need folks, young people, not walk in and out, okay? It's very disrespectful. So please don't do that anymore. If I found out God was worried, I'd get worried. <laughs> Lord, I need help. God says, oh, I don't know what to do. Yikes. So the peace of God. I cast it all on the Lord. Let me ask you a question this morning. Can you honestly say that the peace of God rules in your heart? I'm talking to some folks that are worried sick this morning. You're worried sick about this, that, and the other. Now listen, I'm not trying to be hard on you. i I go through that myself. I've got to deal with stuff like that myself. I'm very sick. That's not the peace of God. When I get worked up like that, when that peace is missing from my life as a believer, that simply tells me I'm not trusting God. I've not cast it all on Him. I'm not 
I'm not committed that to him. And I've got myself all worked up about it. There's going to be wars. Listen, we can't stop it. Until Jesus comes back, we're going to be sending our boys off to war. Until Jesus comes back, body bags are going to be manufactured and put in use. Until Jesus comes back, guns, tanks, weapons are going to be built. We can't stop that. Jesus said it's just going to get worse. But we cannot peace with God and we cannot peace in our heart. And that's what God wants us to have. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I ask dear Lord that uh, we would understand the gravity of the days we're living in. I pray Father in heaven that we would pay attention to world events and understand them in light of what the Bible says and realize that your coming is getting closer and closer and closer. And I pray until that day, dear Lord, that all of us would, number one, know that we have peace with God, that we've been saved, and that our sin issue has been settled with God, forgiven. And then those of us that know you, I pray you'd help us to trust you, to cast it all on you, to live our lives according to your word by faith in what you've said, and we can have peace of God in our hearts. With our heads bowed and with our eyes closed, I want you to say, Preacher, I have some things going on in my life that just upset me. And humanly speaking, that, that would be normal. But you say, as a Christian, I don't want them to upset me. I want to cast them on the Lord. I want the peace of God in my heart regarding, concerning these issues. Is there any like that here this morning? Preacher, pray for me. There's some things that just upset me. And I need to trust God with this. God bless you, hands all around. That's life. We deal with stuff. We deal with issues that upset us. But as Christians, we bring them to the Lord. We cast our care on Him. We let a request be made known with thanksgiving. And His peace rules in our heart. How many would say, Preacher, I'm here this morning and I don't know for sure that God has forgiven my sin. My heart is characterized by unrest, discontentment. I'm unhappy with everything just about all the time. And I need God to come in my life and forgive my sin and give me a new heart, a new life. That is what He wants it to have, what He intends for me to be. And you say, preacher, would you pray for me that God would settle this matter of my salvation? I can know He's forgiven me. I could know I'm a child of God. Is there any here this morning? Preacher, pray for me. I don't want to die and go to hell. I don't want to live a life without Christ. I need God to come in my life and forgive me and save me. Is there any like that? Uplifted hand. Just slip it up high. How about it? Any at all? Preacher, pray for me. I need the Lord Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. You say, pray for me. Any at all? Father in heaven, a lot of hands were raised. There's a lot of things in this old world that can upset us. And I pray you'd help all of us to cast that care on the Lord. I pray for every hand raised. Help them find a place old-fashioned and say, Lord, I'm just putting this in your hands. Lord, I'm not going to let this upset me. I'm just going to cast it in, on you because you care for me. Bless our invitation, I pray in Jesus' name. Let's stand together. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Of course, we don't have the piano this morning. Brother Jerry's just going to softly sing an invitation to him. And God spoke to your heart. You have that burden. You have that need. Why don't you come